that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly You get stuffed with ravioli If your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate So see that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Welcome back, Paisani, to another episode of the Italian-American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola, sitting here with my partner in crime, the notorious P.O.B., Patrick O'Boyle, the Italian-American Wikipedia, on another beautiful day this summer. And we've got a really exciting uh, show. Can I, can I jump in a minute? Yes, you can interrupt me all the time. We're doing a, a quantity of tapings now, like three or four a day. So we decided to pick the nicest time of the year to lock ourselves in our basements. Yeah, you're right about that. We didn't do it in January, <laughs> or February, or March. So it's absolutely beautiful outside, but I'm in a bunker. <laughs> that's what you do for the American community. It, that's yeah. It's so I'm looking out the window. And it's so nice, but you know, it is. If but we're gonna know. if we're gonna do massive tapings in the future, I think we should do it in like the worst time of year, like November. <laughs> Not even like rainy part of November around Thanksgiving. Yeah, find the low points. Like darkest. January, February. Not yeah. not when it's sixty five degrees and sunny. <laughs> but you know what though, the reason for doing all these shows in bulk, first of all, is to give us more pre planning time because obviously we've got so much travel coming up with the Greetings from Italian America show and the new mini shows that we're doing, and that takes a lot of time. So this is kind of our way of making sure the show is pre-planned and got a good runway of interesting content for everybody out there. And I think it's working. It, it feels good to kind of get on a roll. And if it's know. not working, who cares? It's enjoyable. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we get to talk about being Italian all day. We got two viewers. That's two more than I ever thought I would have. <laughs> we got plenty more than that. Three listeners. That's more than I thought that I'd ever have. That's true. You've been hesitant from the beginning. But I'll tell you why. <laughs> you're on. You're on board now. You believe in this now. Um. I didn't understand it. That's why I wasn't on board with it. I didn't understand it. Now I, that I do don't understand it, I personally feel it's the biggest classroom I ever had. That's what makes me happy. And then I get responses all the time. People reach out to me on Instagram and stuff like listeners. And I'm like, wow, okay, we're doing... When I hear good, positive things, that's why I'm happy. I'm honored. I feel blessed to be in a dark, black black and no light basement <laughs> on the most beautiful day in June that one could possibly imagine because it, it's sacrifice for the cause for the good of the tribe. So that's why I'm happy to do it. You know what? That's exactly as usual, a great transition into our guest and topic today, because, you know, you and I have known each other a long time now. And from day one, we met at an event around our Italian American heritage. And then it was like a natural friendship, partnership, brotherhood. They don't know what that conversation was. We got to save that for the early, the earliest listeners will know what our you know, first conversation was. Yes, the earliest was. listeners will remember. But we've given so much of our time and energy to our community and our heritage and our history. And I think we, we pride ourselves on the fact that, you know, for us, a lot of the return on investment is about passing along the story, right? I mean, we talk about that a lot. If we don't interview these people, they may not get interviewed. Or if we don't 
find a community in the middle of Arkansas that's been there for 100 years made up of people from Piedmont, it might not be known by the rest of the community. So we think of ourselves kind of like historical truffle dogs for the Italian and Italian American experience. That's true. We should make our emblem a truffle. Oh, <laughs> the Legato Romagnolo. That is Emilia Romagna's truffle dog. But I know you, you have a thing for the Sicilian shepherd dog. John loves dogs. I love everything Sicilian, too. That's my weakness, obviously. But uh... the Neapolitan Mastiff, you have no interest. See, this is how we have John. <laughs> John is really, he knows he's a classic. Like he, he tries to convince himself he's a Neapolitan. We have a Neapolitan Mastiff and a Sicilian Shepherd dog. And John goes for the Sicilian Shepherd dog. I do. I do default to my Sicilian side. I do have to say. I, we, with, we, with, I with, know that. I once watch. Look at your pastita with 18 pounds of, of cinnamon in it. Like, <laughs> I can't help but cook Sicilian no matter what. Yeah, I Yeah, it's, it's all in you. It's in you. Like my godmother, may she rest in peace, used to say, you are what your mother is. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Well, look at you. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you know, a great deal about Ireland, but I'm very Irish in that, like the Catholic self beating up. Yes. Unworthy. Ireland is a mental state that borders on. Insanity. Yeah, there's a your lot negativity, of your, your, your negativity, ne- negativity, <laughs> negativity. But you are a Neapolitan. Yeah. Yeah. My worldview is Neapolitan. That's true. Yeah. Your worldview is totally maternal Neapolitan. And and that's why I'm excited about today, because the, the gentleman that we're going to invite on, first of all, is originally a Brooklynite, uh, which for me is a Czech in the right box, but also is somebody who, with all the success that he's built in his life, has kept that core mission of spreading the gospel of Italian America here in the country and, and abroad. And, uh, you know, we, we work with a lot of people who give time. We come across a lot of people who give resources. I love meeting somebody who's built their life with their hands. And then in that success decides They want to prioritize our story, our community, and our history. And today we get to speak to Robert Barbera, who is not just an accomplished businessman and author, but the founder and creator of the Mentoris Project, which we're going to talk about with him. So I'm not going to give away too much, but I do want to say it is one of my absolute favorite resources for really deep dive, deep track Italian and Italian American history. So uh, Mr. Barbera, welcome to the Italian American podcast. Thank you for having me. We're really excited about it. Are you still in Brooklyn? I couldn't tell from your from our show notes. <laughs> Have you left the borough of Kings? Well, you know what they say. You can move out of Brooklyn, but Brooklyn is still in you. Always. Where are you located now? Uh, in California, in a town and a city called San Marino. Oh, okay. It's a suburb of uh, Los Angeles County. So you follow the Dodgers? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. a touchy subject for Brooklyn people. Sure is. <laughs> That's a, I don't know. I mean, you, you have tribal rights, John. I, would not, I uh, would not have gone down that road, but actually they followed me. So I have no problem. Oh, wow. That you, so you got lucky. Yes. Yes. And how about from Italy? Where's your family from? They're from uh, Palermo, uh, Carini. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's so they yeah. had the, they have the club in Brooklyn. They have the procession for the crucifix. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I enjoyed that many years. And uh, you went out to California to build your businesses. Obviously, we found you through your philanthropic work, but your first publication is one that you authored called Building Wealth from Shoeshine Boy to Real Estate Magnate. Is that uh, that's the first book you wrote, correct? That's correct. So could you tell us a little bit of how you went from a shoeshine boy to a real estate magnate? Because I think all of us could take that lesson. I think everybody out in the audience would love to know. Well, for me, I always had a great deal of pleasure 
uh, earning money. I love the idea of being uh, productive. And so uh, that was in the 30s during the uh, Depression years. And so it was necessary for everyone in the family uh, to participate uh, for thriving uh, and sustaining ourselves in those years because they were very hardship years. And so everything was uh, rags. And the only way to uh, have good clothing and food was for everyone to uh, pull their weight uh, in earning money. And my dad made me a shoe shine box and uh, sent me down to uh, Jamaica Avenue in uh, Queens, because that's really where I where I was raised in Queens, and um, just started shining shoes. And uh, I re I love the experience. I love meeting people. I love doing a good shine, and uh, I felt very professional about it. And uh, that was my money uh, for the rest of the week. Every Saturday, I would go down to uh, Jamaica Boulevard and uh, shine shoes. I thought everybody was supposed to work. So I just, uh, I felt right in line uh, doing that. And of course, uh, over the years, uh, I also realized that uh, getting an education uh, was far more important than trying to earn uh, the day-to-day -day living. And so from shoe shining, uh, then as I became uh, older, uh, I then found other kinds of work and uh, that developed into uh, meeting more people and working in restaurants, different things like that, that uh, gave me a, an appreciation of uh, all the things that are available to uh, earn a living. And uh, later on, it was uh, far more prosperous to become an investor than it was to work. So then I, I developed an investment uh, mentality to continue on and pursue uh, a livelihood. And I also did uh, both in conjunction, always holding a job and always investing. And uh, over the period of time, uh, it was far more prosperous to be an investor than it was to be uh, an employee and working for someone. And if, if I may, because I have your biography, obviously the audience can't see you because we're an audio podcast, but how old are you right now? Would you tell the audience? Would you be comfortable telling the audience? Yeah, 89 in a week. Ah, Benetti. <laughs> right. You are complete living evidence of my thoughts on the Sicilian gene pool because you look fantastic. You, you I would not have seen. God bless uh, you, Benetti. Yeah, God, God bless you. God bless you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you Thanks. really did grow up in a period where not only was the global economy suffering, you've got the depression, the war, but Italian Americans were not exactly pulling themselves up at a clip towards investment stocks and real estate and things. Were your family educated? What drove you so differently from other people? Well, first of all, you were right about that. You didn't typically in those days expect Italians into the, uh, uh, the stock market or on Wall Street. That was not expected. What was expected was to be contractors and professional people, uh, be a barber, a shoemaker or something like this. And it's not that that are not good trades or professions, but still, if you were given the talent to succeed, uh, then you moved up the scale into more professional levels. And so I, I could see the difference uh, even at an early age uh, where my mom was buying property and improving it and then succeeding in that. And my dad always was uh, professionally a dressmaker and had dress factories. So he succeeded too, but the depressions uh, took them down twice. Wow. The whole point uh, to go forward was to 
find other ways of doing something and a living. And then during the war years, we very much felt slighted because we were Italians. And you felt that effect uh, during World War II uh, in, in a very big way. And uh, just after the war, it sort of continued, but was always there. So you you really had to use your ingenuity to succeed uh, with business people, uh, make arrangements and negotiate and prosper. And many did. So what that did, quite honestly, was it gave you a challenge to succeed. Looking back, I think that is far more valuable to create incentives is to be challenged rather than to be given something. And so uh, people that were my friends and so forth, the non-Italians, uh, just took life for granted, took living for granted. For me, it was was a challenge to succeed. It, it gave me the spirit to um, do better. Uh, now, when I look back, I said I was much better off being uh, ignored or slighted or presumed to be uh, lazy or ignorant and then prove otherwise. And that was the joy of it all. You know, it's so funny you say that. I have this feeling around our Italianness when I interact. I mean, I'm 37, grew up in, you know, a totally different America, obviously. But one where when we left Brooklyn, we went to the suburbs in New Jersey, we didn't live amongst many Italians. And I oftentimes felt that we were sort of the first Italians many of the people I was interacting with had met. And uh, I often felt underestimated. And it dawned on me somewhere along the line that that was actually an advantage because people were underestimating my work ethic, my intelligence, my capabilities, whatever it was. I felt that that gave me sort of cover to really go out and succeed and to to work harder and, and do it quietly. And, and it's interesting to hear you express something kind of similar to that. You know, we, we rarely get to interview people who experience that point in Italian-American history. Do you feel you encountered much anti-Italianism as you went towards education and business? Uh, very much so. Particularly, I worked for the government, the Internal Revenue Service and the Department of Corporation. And uh, there was always that uh, wondering, uh, who was this guy? And uh, is he part of the mafia? Is he part of some uh, negative uh, element? And when I felt this, it just gave me more and more enthusiasm to do better and succeed in, in the work that was required in government office. And typically uh, government employees, even on a professional level, because I was an auditor, I did my darndest uh, just for the sake of joy to do much more than was expected. And the irony of that is if you do more than the crowd, then you're suspected for another reason. So <laughs> the irony is that if you work too hard in the government, it's not acceptable. And I couldn't do that. So uh, finally, after spending 14 years in government service, I knew that my right calling was to be independent, uh, succeed on my own merits, and take the challenges myself. And I was so lucky to finally realize that. So how did you end up in Los Angeles? Well, L Los Angeles, my dad was looking for good weather. We were the same regarding uh, cold weather. We we really, really didn't like it. I, I can remember the days of us waiting on the corner for a bus and being so bitterly cold, and no matter how much I was wrapped up, I hated the idea of shoveling snow and everything. 
And so when my dad moved to uh, California, I was already uh, in my 20s. I decided to uh, join him and uh, it was an absolute joy, but it was quite a difference of people to say the least. Uh, the, the West Coast and East Coast are so different. Let me ask you a question. Was your father also an immigrant from Karini? Yes. So your parents made two major moves in their lives. Am I correct? Uh, that's right. Uh, you, you got it right. You know, after all, mo moving from uh, Sicily, my dad at the age of eight uh, moved to uh, Brooklyn. And then my mom, she was uh, right after World War I, uh, then moved to Brooklyn. And then they moved to Chicago and then back to Brooklyn. And they were always in the garment business. And uh, that's something that they uh, they could share very much uh, was clothing and, and designing clothing and making clothing. And uh, they, they did fine in that. And, and that was one of the things that was uh, very much uh, with Italians. If you needed a job, you would be in that clothing industry. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That was really fascinating. You don't get that many stories of that kind of uh, entrepreneurship in the general, we don't, we don't hear them. I mean, they obviously exist. Italians have done very well in so many cases across the country, but it's, it's wonderful to hear them first person for us because it's primary history, frankly, to hear about these kind of things. And um, when you move to California, you are educated, you go into business, you develop uh, investments, real estate investments, but a lot of the biography that we have of you from the mentors project, which we're going to talk about soon talks about you as a very active philanthropist in the Italian-American community, particularly, obviously, out there in California. When you get there, were you always aware of your Italianness as something that mattered to you and defined you, or did it evolve at a later point in your life? And what was the community like out there? Because there is an indigenous, a small you know, community in Los Angeles. I know they have a wonderful museum in the Italian American Museum in Los Angeles and San Pedro has a little Italy, but you don't think of it off the top of your head as an Italian enclave. So what did you find and how did you relate to it? And did that evolve? Well, you're right about that. The, the Italians in California, including Los Angeles, is very dispersed. Uh, we have a, a large geography and people are really spread. And so when we get into the 50s and certainly into the 60s, there's virtually no ghetto. And so those enclaves are, are spread out for uh, people to attend functions or to uh, belong to clubs. And so it's quite a undertaking to uh, put groups together. And uh, we have over 60 Italian-American organizations in and around uh, Los Angeles for one reason or another, either they are together because they come from the same village or town or that they believe in a saint of one kind or another, or they have a trade uh, that brings them together one way or the other. And so we have all the professions having their own uh, groupings and 
So it's not a national mentality. It's, it's more a, a local mentality uh, that keeps them together. But for me, it wasn't until I left the uh, working atmosphere that I finally started to meet more Italians because I, I found one connection to bring another connection to another connection. And then I found their uh, social structure, uh, their friendship far more agreeable than the, the wider uh, spread of uh, ethnic backgrounds and nationalities. They were your own people. They were your tribe. That's exactly right. That's about the best way you can say it. Yes. And there's, there was a natural affinity. And I just thought I can attribute my mom, dad, and brother to have always reminded me of my background. And so then when you meet people outside of your family unit and you see, quote, unquote, as you say, the tribe, it becomes very natural. And it says, okay, they certainly couldn't be prejudiced in this group. They certainly couldn't hold anything against you. So now you've, you've reached another home. And so this becomes your wider family. Uh, let's not forget, though, that uh, in any group or tribe, uh, you have the good and the bad. And it's been my point to um, just appreciate who we are and enjoy one another. And the whole idea is that we want to succeed as a heritage. And so my whole issue has been for the last 20 years or more to uh, keep the heritage alive, the culture alive. And you can really appreciate Italy when you go there and you spend time with the people. And then you see uh, the success and, and things that have been created from Italy and Italians that uh, makes you very proud that you can say, that's that's my heritage, that's my culture. That's that's what my mom and dad were always talking about. Now, now I can really see it and enjoy it. I believe that there's a whole culture uh, that we can be very proud of. And uh, that's why I've developed uh, many things uh, along the way. I mean, you've, you've founded organizations, you've founded in, if I go backwards, 2005, Lingua Viva and uh, founded and, and served as the first president in an organization to teach Italian language, history, art, cooking at the Italian Cultural Institute in L.A. In 2000, which I found really fascinating because I'm obsessed with Italian American media, you rescued the then struggling newspaper L'Italo Americano, which is now the only bilingual Italian and English newspaper in the United States. And, and I've got uh, many, many articles from there over the years that I've used in my work and research. You created the Fondazione Italia, an education group associated with the Italian Cultural Institute. You've been awarded the Order of Merit of the Italian Republic as a commandatore, which is a very high praise from the Italian government. But what I'm most fascinated by is your creation of the Mentoris Project here. And what you've done for the audience is a, a driven publisher, which uh, there's books, there's podcasts, there's essay contests and things, but, but the books to me are such an accomplishment. I want to talk about them. You guys have published about 34, 35 biographies and novels about Italian and Italian-American individuals, many of whom don't really get recognition in our community. Many of them are kind of deep dive stories. And I would love to talk about the ones that inspire you most and, and how you guys go about selecting them and what your day-to-day -day participation in this wonderful project is. But, but tell us why you started this, because it's it is that 
go deeper respect for the community. You know, it's one thing to keep the traditions in your home. It's another to dive deeper and really learn. And that's what our whole mission is here. So it seems like we're on the same page. What drove you to create this Mentoras project? Well, as you can imagine, uh, I love the Italo Americano newspaper. And so in subscribing to the paper, uh, I did feel that it was too much on the political side. And that annoyed me very much. And they were ignoring the cultural side. And so I started writing articles on the very people that you have mentioned that were the creators and founders of great institutions and places. And so uh, I, I then spent my time uh, researching uh, different people. And every week I would write an article about someone, but there was no recognition of these people. So that's why I felt uh, it was important to do that. Then, of course, when the uh, paper was handled very poorly financially, I bought the paper out to make sure that it reflected uh, the need for culture. And uh, so it took a little time to bring people in that direction to see what, what the paper's better purpose is, and, and that's to give our readers a sense of Italianness and what those achievements were. And what happened in uh, 1990 was an important mark because as the president of Federated Italian Americans of Southern California, I felt a responsibility to do three major things. And one was to have the largest banquet the city has ever seen. Uh, the next was to put out a book. And then it was to put out a film on Christopher Columbus. And so uh, I had 1,100 people on my list that I was regularly sending a newsletter to, to tell them about the event. And that worked because we had over 850 people at that event. And for us, that's a big deal. Sure. And then, of course, uh, my friend wrote the book on Columbus. Uh, he was dead. And then his son gave me the rights and permissions to promote the book on Columbus. And then I did a film on Columbus, which, incidentally, your old group, NIAF, broadcasted it all during the year, during 1992. So it, it was a good year. And, you know, when you do something, you say, now what can I do next? So one issue turns into another issue, into another program. And so I'm in many organizations. And I thought that what was lacking was college institutions not promoting uh, Italian classes. And actually, uh, language classes were also dropping. So I then challenged myself to uh, raise money for different institutions uh, college institutions to make sure that Italian language and culture classes would exist. And if they were lacking, I would make sure that there was improvement in the course of study. So I went to four or five colleges funding uh, programs to make sure that those endowments uh, would succeed and bring the uh, language to the forefront. And uh, that's what I did for uh, many years and still do. And so, uh, even colleges that, uh, that drop the ball, uh, just go back again and bring it to the level that it formerly was. It's a tremendous challenge. And I don't take it as being anti-Italian. They're just anti-language. Hmm. And so the science courses and things like this have taken front stage. And so it makes it very difficult. And uh, I do believe that we will get out of the science mentality and get back to the culture mentality in a matter of time. But, uh, you know, you just have to keep on fighting and you have to be persistent 
in order to achieve things. And so just when things look terrible, it's only the bottom to shoot up again. So uh, I love the idea of being persistent. And this is my joy uh, to keep the paper alive, to keep the languages alive, the culture alive. And so when you talk about the Mentoras project, I saw a very big hole in our libraries uh, regarding books to study and read and enjoy about Italian history. What does the country stand for? What are the people saying? And what the success was. And I noticed very much so that even people that were educated in Italy living here in Los Angeles are not aware of many of the people that are so important in our history. I'm astounding. So it's, it's my responsibility to publish the books and get them distributed at any cost that it takes uh, to get those books out, to uh, bring the sense of Italianness back to the understanding, whether it's in the colleges or in the home, so that people know how proud they can be of people who have developed something, who have succeeded in something. So when you ask me the question, uh, how do I pick people? I just go to an area, take architecture. Who was great in architecture? Italians were. Well, who the hell were they? So then let's bring that up. And then you go through science. Well, who developed the first atomic bomb? You know, let, let's go to it. And, and so it's so easy. Well, who helped the Jefferson write the uh, Declaration of Independence? Let's go to it. Yeah. And so it was so easy to say, who's the greatest military guy? Who was the greatest lawyer? I mean, it goes on and on. And if you don't say it, no one's going to say it for you. So you, you have a responsibility to uh, bring that out for your own sense of pride and your own dignity uh, to not to be erased and not to be known, not to be known. And so it becomes a challenge and a joy to uh, do all of this. Fall favorites are back on Mediaset Italia. All the shows you love to cozy up on the couch with. Italian family favorites whipped up in the kitchen with cotto e mangiato. All eyes are back on the Grande Fratello Vip house with a brand new season and a fresh crop of contestants. A double dose of Maria De Filippi with the return of new episodes of Amici and Uomini e Donne. And the game show that puts you in the hot seat, Caduta Libera, and host Jerry Scotti will test your wits. Mediaset Italia has all the best entertainment from Italy year-round. Call your local television provider and ask for the channel today. Well, let me ask you a question. You mentioned who helped Jefferson write the Declaration of Independence, and obviously Filippo Mazzei is a topic that we've discussed in a prior episode of the show uh, somebody I've been fascinated with for a long time. And it's actually the book that you guys published on Filippo Mazzei, America's Forgotten Founding Father, that led me to your project and eventually to your website. I was able to, I was doing some research. I, I stumbled upon the book on Amazon and it led me, as soon as I noticed there was a, a, a mark that this was part of a series, I went on to uh, search out the series and was blown away by the diversity that you mentioned. Every topic, uh, topics that I think a lot of people don't think about. I would take too much of the show to list everybody out there, but you've got everything from uh, Angelo Dundee, the boxing trainer, to uh, Marcus Cicero in Roman times, everything in between. So how do you guys go about uh, getting the books actually published? Do you sort of sit out with the topic you'd like and then find the writer that fits? Do you work with writers that you know? I mean, you're prolific in the amount of stuff you're producing. So what's the strategy, I guess? 
you're on the right path. Uh, I do know that uh, there's someone that has to be noticed in our history, Italian American history, that uh, should be noticed. Even before I, I started Google, I was aware of researching uh, different people for one reason or another. Of course, when Google came along, it made it very easy to think of a topic and say, well, who was the great military man? And then you, you start finding that out. And one thing always leads to another with this. So who was great scientist? Who was the great artist and so forth? And so when you start living in the atmosphere of being Italian or an Italian-American, you couldn't possibly avoid these wonderful people. And I've been very fortunate. Uh, I certainly couldn't do this work on my own by any means. I'm actually in the background now. And so I have two wonderful managers who kick off the whole idea of finding authors. And what has made me so proud is that every time we ask an author to cover a book, they do excellent research. If it takes them a year or two years, they're researching. So I have someone from Canada in Toronto flying over to San Francisco to interview the grandchildren of Giannini. Wow. I have somebody from Los Angeles go all the way to Italy, the hometown of an artist. And they so much love what they're doing that they put everything into it. And their research is incredible. I just finished a book on Quinto, who developed music notes. And I have to tell you, the person researched this for uh, more than a year, which was followed by someone that preceded and researched for two years. So I have three years of research on just Quinto, who discovered music notations the inventor of music. Can you understand and appreciate how important this person is? Yeah. So when I finished reading the book yesterday, I probably read the book halfway up in the air. I was so pleased. And it's a warm story. They're all warm stories. They're loving stories. And part of the direction for the authors is that I don't want a technical book coming out of a college. I want a book that anybody can read, like they read a newspaper, and just simply uh, have a good understanding of what the person was, what their home life was, how they came to the point of being able to succeed in what they succeeded, what barriers that they were facing, and then how they made that conquest. So uh, my whole idea then was to pick an important topic, religion, science, music, art, literature, and on and on. And then I made sure that women were as well noticed as men as they should be. And uh, at first it was a blind spot, but then when it was brought to my attention, I realized that uh, certainly the women uh, like Genoneski for art and many other artists and many scientists and many people in the field out there that have succeeded, that it was, was my responsibility uh, to make sure that there was fair recognition of everybody that succeeded. And, you know, I don't believe in the uh, the kind of thing of who's hot on television now or who's hot in the movies. Those people don't interest me whatsoever. And uh, I just hope to God that these books over time will be recognized and the series is recognized. And it's a complete understanding of our culture and history of important people that succeeded and contributed to the world. 
uh, that that's my whole purpose. And, you know, you make a great point. I find this a lot as somebody who from a young age sought out primarily English language books, because it took me a long time to be able to read even sufficiently in Italian, which I'm still very slow at. You know, you'd go to the bookstore before there was Amazon and there'd be four or five books, maybe if you were lucky in the English language on Italian American stuff and maybe another dozen on Italy, if you're lucky. That's a that's a extensive collection at a you know regular Barnes and Nobles or, or Borders when they were around. So some of these works, like, you know, you're talking about the uh, opportunity to share women's stories, which always get overlooked. And, and I think now we are really improving. But like I, I've been looking at the stuff you published recently and the story of Angela Bambachi, an advocate for equal pay for women in Italian American. That's a story nobody would have gotten to. And, and here it is available for people in a novelized version, easily accessible and readable and interesting. You're just uncovering so many chapters of our story that while they should be known, have not been preserved and passed on. And it's, it's really admirable to see the diversity of stories, the diversity of topic, and the opportunity for authors to dig into an area that they may not even have expected they would have gone into. So it's wonderful. I highly recommend everybody visit the website, mentorisproject.org, and uh, take a look at the catalog. They're available on Amazon and Apple Books and bookshop.org, all these different places that uh, you're probably shopping to get your books. You can find these wonderful works there. Do you have any of these stories that is your favorite? Is there one that has sort of thrilled you the most? The, yeah, the one that thrills me the most is always the most recent. <laughs> you are a man always in progress. I can see that. You are you are a dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because that's where my time is now. The next book is my time uh, to make sure that I go over the manuscript and uh, have something to do with putting something in uh, that wasn't there or taking something out that doesn't belong there. Uh, you know, the whole question is when you decide on what book to put out, you really come to understand there seems to be no limit. And so you see, there's a void. And, uh, you know, this void happened uh, when I was just a school kid in grade school. And we had a book on reading all about the different nations of Europe, uh, France, Germany, and so forth. And all those countries had three, four, five, six pages. When it came to Italy, they had a half of a page. And here I was, I could have been uh, eight, nine, or 10 in that age group. And I'm saying, I'm from Italy. Where the heck, why don't they talk about Italy? And so that has always been the, the core issue of the lack of recognition of Italy. And so uh, it's true, the Roman Empire, it's true, the Renaissance, but it's more than that. And there's so much more to understand and appreciate. And so th this is my quest. That's a very noble one. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I can remember going through as a history fanatic as a kid. And yeah, you encounter Rome, the Renaissance, they skip around. And then all of a sudden, you, maybe you get a day on the Risorgimento, but that's usually paired with the German unification. So you get like half a class. And then you maybe get an intro to fascism, which obviously is not the best picture to have painted. And that's it. That's all you hear about Italy and yeah. the curriculum. I mean, it's glaringly obvious that there's a disproportionate amount of attention paid to it in the American mindset. And uh, as Pat always likes to say, at the last check, 
somewhere between 50 and 57% of the UNESCO World Heritage Sites were located in Italy. So we're doing something right as a people, but uh, <laughs> I don't know why we're not getting the spotlight in the uh, academic world. Yes. So I guess before we wrap up, my question to you is, if you had to pick the sort of one story that you want to make sure is told and hits the widest audience, who, who's the one figure that's still in your sights? Well, that, that's, that's a really, really, really difficult uh, question. Um, each one of the books uh, has an excellent representation of what they've done. And uh, to be able to pick one, uh, that's an unfair question. <laughs> my, my apologies. I could phrase it this way. I could say, if you could have lunch with <laughs> one of these people, who, who might it Yeah, seen? I like that question. If you could yeah. have lunch, yeah. If you could have yeah. a lunch. Well, uh, uh, Sika, Sika, Judge Sika wow. uh, was, was an incredible guy. He, he's of my time and age to tell him uh, how he uh, stood up against the Congress and the crowd. Uh, Nixon had to go and he had the, the tenacity. There's another word for that <laughs> uh, to do his job. So, you know, he's in our time and uh, it shows more than anything uh, that we are really Americans, and he stood up for that. And when you read his book, you'll see how he had to suffer through to even pass the bar exam, to even get a job as a lawyer, and then succeeded in becoming a judge. And then the irony is that he became the most important man to uh, take down a very bad guy at the time. Wow. That, that, that's not the answer that I thought you can give. I'm very fascinated by that. And I, uh, it's one of the books that I have not read, actually. So I look forward to reading it because I've been, for some reason, I've been studying that era in American history a lot lately. I've been reading about the Nixon era in Vietnam and uh, even Goldwater and Kennedy before and trying to brush myself up. So that's right into where I'm kind of reading in my non-Italian world now. So it'd be great to bridge the two. Uh, I guess my last question for you would be, what do you see in the future generations, right? As a very, very young 89-year-old who's been through all of this and seen so many phases in Italian-American history and has focused on education and making sure this, the language and the culture and the history is available at the university level, publishing these books, saving a newspaper. Obviously, your Italianness is a vocation for you, and the philanthropic focus on education has been so admirable. Where do you see the future generations of Italian America, how have your works been received by the young people you've interacted with and, and what's your hope for the future? I do believe uh, we will uh, improve our situation as a status and as a cultural country, uh, Italy, that it is. And just as you mentioned, uh, there are so many heritage sites, uh, such a huge tourist industry that people uh, will we'll recognize Italy and the culture and the way of life as being a very important way of life and a very good way of life. And that, that will sustain uh, the heritage uh, for a very long time. Um, we are uh, putting out a book that's yet to come. It's called The Seven Senses. When the uh, Italian mentality looks at something, uh, they use the seven senses. Uh, the last one being common sense. <laughs> yeah. And I then, like of that. course, it's the uh, the sense of the eyes, what it can see, the ears, which which you can hear, the tongue, which you can taste, and so forth. And so this, this is very much Italian. And I do believe that 
this will be a very important book. It takes it from a whole different point of view. It's not about an individual. It's about a people. It's about who they are and what they are, what they stand for, uh, what their love and joy is. And so the, this, the seven senses is what Italians are. When you take everything else away, uh, there's one thing that you don't eliminate, and that's the ability of, of the Italian to live that style of life, that the panache that people have come to enjoy, whether they know it or not. Yeah. The best clothes, the best food, the best music, and so forth are founding uh, in Italian and, and continue that way. So something grows hot and cold, but these essential things of our senses are there forever. And uh, you don't take it away. You, you can't take away from what that achievement was and how 2,000 years of history created the culture that we have around the world. And uh, everywhere you go uh, in the world, you'll see a touch of Italy one way or the other. And so it's extremely important. And so I see the future uh, always going to be bright, always a quest, always a challenge. And as, I, as we started out this program, the challenge and the suffering does far more than something that was just uh, ignored or handed to you. And, and that's why I think we, we typically complain about we don't do enough and we slap ourselves uh, unreservedly only because we wanted to do better. That's all that, that, that amounts to. Mm. And uh, I think that the uh, determination of people being educated is extremely important. Uh, because those are the things that resonate, make it possible to have that culture continue. So I see I see a future. I think the one thing that you can rest assured of, and I've said this to John with the podcast, is because of who we are and what we've accomplished as a tribe, we will never run out of subject matter. <laughs> you could You could publish a book a day for the next thousand years, and you won't even make a dent. Yeah, it's true. And what Italians have done for world civilization. Yeah. So you'll you'll never. That's the one thing I said with John. We will always have pub, uh, plenty of, of subject matter because the genius of the Italian mind continues. And there's little babies out there somewhere, little Italian babies out there who will continue that long after we're all gone. Yeah. And and that's that's the beauty of a civilization that if you go through Italian history. Yeah. From as far back as we know history, every generation has made a major impact in the world. Everything, government, military, science, art, astronomy, mathematics. Sometimes we had good. Most of the times we had good. Sometimes we had bad. But we were always in the ring, always contributing. And I think that's the brilliance of the Italian mind. And that's like I said, you, you have the safest job in the world. You will never, ever, ever run out of books to publish. One province of Italy alone, yeah, you could do one book a day for the next thousand years and you would still not make a dent. That's the beauty of this work. That's what this is all about. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why we sit down and plan out these kind of conversations we want to have. And you talk about the seven senses. Really, you're speaking to what I have always held really dear to me, which is the sense that in an, in an increasingly dehumanized world where technology separates us, where we, we just are told constantly we don't need to interact. We don't need to do the simple things that make us human. Our people, as far back as I can gather, have always been and are today really good at being human, doing those things, caring, paying attention to detail, appreciating 
the subtle appreciating the stuff that really counts when you're surrounded by and, and bombarded by the stuff that really doesn't count. And, and we're just, we're, we're great at being human. And uh, for me, hearing somebody with your life experience, with your accomplishment, with your dedication, commit to that same thesis around our senses and around that special quality of who we are, uh, it means a great deal to me. And I know I can speak for Pat and I, and I'm sure many people in the audience when I say, uh, we'd like to have lunch with you because I, I could do this for a very long time. And uh, I would love to continue hearing more and more about you and your accomplishments and your take on life because uh, you are a great Italian American in our eyes. And I'm very happy that we were able to do this today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it too. Oh, it means a John, great deal the, to the, us. The next time we're out in LA, we have yes. to definitely get together. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you to the best pizza place in town. How's that? Oh, where, where is it? Can you tell us on the air? I'd love to know what you think. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a place in uh, Pasadena that makes pizza like they do in Sicily. Wow. All right. I'm yeah. in. I, yeah. <laughs> you, you had me a pizza. I'm in. Don't worry. So we will be out there at some point soon because we want to film out there. So we're going to be calling on you for sure. You'll be my guest. Oh, uh, we'd love it. We'd absolutely love it. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I highly recommend everybody out there. Get on mentorisproject.org. That's M-E-N-T-O-R-I-S project.org. You can get the books, Amazon, and anywhere that uh, you do your, your shopping for these valuable, valuable treasures that are books. And definitely think you'll find something in there for everyone to enjoy in a great novelized version. All of this, the inspiration of a very great Italian-American who we've had the pleasure of speaking to. So from all of us, the Italian-American podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life